0: This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn
1: more at EnrollmentResources.com.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Greg Meiklejohn, co-founder of Enrollment Resources with Shane Sparks. And uh, we have an interesting topic today. Uh, And it's a topic where schools literally lose millions of dollars in enrollment revenue uh, just through um, small, small processes, process oversights, and um, I, uh, I'm going to kick that off by sharing a little story, and uh, and then we're going to go right to work and give you guys tons of tips. So, I'd like to introduce our panel today. We have uh, Tammy Miles, who is uh, runs our digital marketing program, and Tammy is one of the top uh, thought leaders within. The Google ego, ecosystem uh, and has been for the last uh, oh, 15 years or so. So, let's welcome aboard, Tammy. We'll be uh, leaning on you later for some expertise.
2: Awesome. Happy to
0: be Good. And then we have uh, Tom King, who is uh, one of our C level people at Enrollment Resources. And Tom drives and oversees uh, a lot of the strategy and Uh, execution on our software side of our company. Welcome, Tom.
3: Good to be here.
0: And we have uh, Anya Brzezinski, who is a a veteran of the marketing, EDU marketing space, uh, and has been for many years. And Anya does special projects for us um, and does a damn fine job. Anya, welcome to our, our talk today.
1: Thank you, Greg.
0: So I'm going to tell a story, you guys, just super quick one. Okay. It's a football story. So if you hate football, don't hang up. It'll only take 60 seconds. There's this, uh, really excellent coach that uh, his name is Tony Dungy. He was, he's now a a TV analyst on broadcasts, but, uh, here is uh, one of the reasons that Tony Dungy was so successful as a football coach. Uh, what he realized was that, um, Offensive linemen of the opposition, they would do subtle little physical cues that would tip off uh, w- what kind of a play would happen. And so, what he would notice is, like for instance, the offensive tackle on the left side would move his foot, left foot back six inches to prepare to pass block, or he would move his right foot six foot back if he's preparing to. To do some uh, blocking regarding running, and he's he noticed this with a couple of the opponents. And so he hired a young guy, and went through all of the film, and created a correlation with different players on different teams of things they would do, which would essentially give away the type of um, the type of play the opposition was going to go in and put into play. So they were able to predict on a kind of a batting average basis um, if a running play was coming or a passing play. And it gave the the defense tremendous advantage as they they, uh, offered up defensive audibles to their teammate on the defensive side of the ball. And so that analogy may only appeal to some of you on the call, but it, it's fascinating that how something is imperceptible as to how a person places their feet when they're prepared to start a football play can determine whether a team wins a Super Bowl or not. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about little um, perception chisms, little, little breaks between where marketing ends. And where admissions begins. And so first thing I just wanted to, to talk about is, um, you know, there are three players in this whole education enrollment management process. One is the, the marketer who feels pressure to create insertion orders, what they call leads for, um, for the, the school. And then there are the admissions people and these leads come in and they rub their hands and go, Oh, oh it's a prospect. I can, uh, you know, I can go in and fill my quota. And then, of course, you have the actual victim in the, in the play, the, the explorer, the student explorer. And all she's wanting to do is get research as she's trying to go and create, uh, a life, um, a life for herself, improve her, her statue in life. And she has no idea that the marketing department and the admissions department are thinking of her in that manner. Tom, crazy? What do you think?
3: No, nope, you've got, you got the main three players down. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the key. It's a dance between marketing, admissions, and our explorer. And uh, the goal is to help you know, hopefully help them explore their possibilities and move them uh, into an opportunity to succeed.
0: So I guess with all of the little breaks and fissures between admissions and marketing, there is an underpinning where, uh, Anya, maybe uh, the, to Tom's point, that the marketing department and the admissions department with many of these schools just lack uh, really empathy is the word I'm thinking of. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some cases, they simply don't even talk. They don't communicate um, the challenges across departments um, or the day-to-day, which they typically – essentially, they're just operating in silos, which is never good um, for the overall success of a campaign.
0: Yeah, and then these poor students, we call them explorers, are just trying to figure it out, like the life cycle – somebody wanting to go back to school to retrain can be up to a year and a half. And mm-hmm. and yet these marketing and and admissions folks are thinking of it in completely different ways. So it's like looking at what do they call that the uh, Tom the those those blot tests where everything people look at it in a completely different way, right?
3: Sure. Yeah, the, the old the old Rorschach test and
0: yeah, the Rorschach. Uh,
3: everybody's thing. got their own different view of of, of how things should should be. Uh, and as Anya said, a lot of times, marketing emissions uh, operate in silos. They don't. They're not on the same page in many cases.
0: Yeah. So so one of the things we can do to to better connect the uh, um, the process between these three players, these three actors, is we want to really first like. Marketing tends to crap on admissions. Admissions crap on marketing. The poor explorer tries to hide. Um, but I think a lot of it can sit right at the front with um, marketing doing a better job of writing copy. Um, and uh, so what that means is there's persuasion and then there is copy. And so and that really is like a, like a full, rich, no BS uh, description of what life might be uh, like to go to school. And so you, if you do that, you automatically eliminate. Um, so um, you eliminate prospective students. But the question is, is by being honest, full, complete, um, what do you think Tom
3: I think I think persuasion and 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 writing has has a lot to do with it um, I mean marketing marketing function is really to generate this high a quality lead and as many leads which is a dance between two different directives there uh, and uh so for the admissions team to work based on a budget that they're that they're given. So they they're they're constantly having to to dance between uh quality and quantity and finding a balance between the two. Uh but good copy that's engaging and gets an explorer to at least want to take the next step uh, is super important. And having a myriad of ways to grab the different levels of people, if, if I can, just for a quick second, we just did a, a webinar uh, about a week or so ago, and I know Sterling at uh, Enrollment Resource, and myself. We look at five different, just as a quick overview, five different ways of grabbing students from your web page. One would be the Apply Now. Those are people that are super serious. They don't want to. They don't want info. They don't want a tour. They're just ready to go. Bam! They want to apply than having a book a tour button on your website where these are people that are not ready to just jump in and apply, but they also don't need info. They just wanna come see the school or get a virtual tour. Uh, Then you have people who are just there to request info. Uh, They're not at the ready to jump in stage, but they at least would like info so they can explore it. Uh, Then you have our virtual advisor leads, which are people that are just below that, that, And they're not sure what they want to do, but they'd like to find out if this might be right for them or not. And then you have the basic old contact us form. So just on a website alone, you can find five different ways to generate leads all at different parts in the decision making process. But it's at least a marketing's job to try to find, you know, funnel some of those high qualified leads in as well as find leads that are way higher in the funnel who are just exploring uh, and admissions needs to be able to take all of those different types of leads and then move them through the process.
1: Right. And if I might add, um, in addition to having that um, engaging copy, you really want to ensure that you're focusing on compelling and not only compelling, but also compliant creative. So in addition to all the higher-ed specific regulations, you know, make sure that your campaigns are certainly compliant. Um, because while it can be tempting to um, get very creative and to and you want to engage those candidates as much as you know would-be candidates as much as possible, um, you you certainly want to make sure that you have your eye on compliance.
0: Well, that's it. add Ad puffery, exaggeration in marketing in general has become the norm, but because in education we're dealing with a, a, um, uh, a, a vulnerable population almost in many cases, one has to really uh, lean on the side of being full, fulsome, objective. And that's why, like for instance, at our company, when we make landing pages uh, for our schools, they're typically double the length in terms of des- descriptive words as others. and But within that des- descriptive language, we're almost giving people an opportunity to say no, like, hey, this may not be a good fit for you. It all gets spelled out at the marketing level. Mm-hmm. So um, professional admissions people, the really good people s- maintain an objective stance and properly in sales term, they call it qualification, but you qualify people to make sure they're an absolute dead to rights um, fit. Many, if not most admissions people are so into persuading people to come because, I don't know, an inherent need to be loved or who knows, but it, it can't be done that way. And and so marketing can do its part um, by, Qualifying by way of the spoken word. Um, there's a, a book by Claude Hopkins called um, Scientific Marketing, the, the, the Bible of marketing books written in the 1920s. And, you know, he says that you don't dress your, in this case, admissions people up like clowns. And so why do you write ad copy like you're a clown? And so the key is, I think folks, the tip to take away on this is split test, uh, and see how many leads you use, uh, you lose by being honest, by being, removing all the puffery and being really full about, Hey, you know, massage industry, um, career lasts an average of seven years. You know, if massage schools put that on in their ad copy, I would venture that their lead flow might go down. So, um, but it's the truth. And I guess my final word in talking about this is that there is no choice going forward. uh, That um, probably next year, there will be a heightened sense of um, uh, rigor in reviewing advertising, websites, what have you, to make sure that there's just no BS. And, and, and people might as well get ahead of the curve and get on it now, hey? Mm-hmm. Uh, and your final thoughts on that?
1: No, I, I I'm completely agree with you 100%. Um, focus on compliance. Um, in the meantime, you still want to create engaging, have your um, – Engaging creative. Um, Many times that's a successful differentiator for your offerings. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, you know, know your audience. I think that's something that we haven't specifically touched on. But um, it's important to from the marketing perspective, marketing is always they're building your they're building their persona to um, better understand the user's needs, experiences, behaviors and goals? Are they translating that? You know, do the admissions reps, are they familiar with um, the personas of the organization of the institution as well? Do they have an understanding? Cindy
0: Cindy Lynn from Quantum Academy actually sent that exact question in in advance. And I think we're going to go and dig into that in a few minutes. Uh, But yeah, you have to ask. It's all about Thinking outward in is the key. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's talk uh, on. To, uh, take on. Go on to a new uh, item here. Sure. Um, optimum timing sequences uh, to engage with explorers. So there's some deep research that we've done in conjunction with Velocify in years past about optimum timing sequences. Um, I'll just share it really briefly. Everybody, you can, listening, you can get a pen and a paper and I encourage you to split tests. Uh, the, the timing sequence is you phone and then you, you check in at two hours. You check in then at four hours. You check in then at three days, six days, 11 and 13 days for a total of six communications with, uh, um, two, maybe three voicemails within the six, six engagement points um, via the phone. Uh, now, the best time to connect with people is between 7 and 8.30 p.m. Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from noon until 6. So now we look at the sequencing that happens normally and it's nowhere near that. And we look at the times of days when admissions reps are Trying to connect with the explorers, and of course they're nowhere near what I just described. And it takes a school to have a ton of courage to design the uh, the hours for an admissions team to work from call it 6:30 to 8:30 uh, in the evenings and 12 to 6 on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I think um, the f- the first point of contact is absolutely key. Um, and then how you sequence your communication is absolutely key. Now, there will be some of you on the call that say, well, if you're phoning uh, on the weekends or in the evenings, uh, they're going to hang up on you, Greg. But no, because we did a cross tabulation on the average length of call, which was 36 minutes. And so it's effective to work from 7 to 8.30 and then on the weekends. Tom. And yeah, Tom, weigh in first.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. So this is near and dear to my heart. Um, and those, some of those velocity uh, studies are quite, getting a little bit old now, but um, and I think most schools probably do a lot more contact than that and I would recommend probably more contact than that initially. But I think that a key point here is that you have to have a cadence uh, whether it's that one that you just mentioned, Greg, or something a little more, um, but you know, I, the word aggressive sounds bad on in, when it comes to admissions, but, uh, I think most of us are probably doing more than, than that. Um, and you're adding text and, and such in there now, which initially was not shown to be as helpful as it is now. I think nowadays it's, it's significantly more important in video email and, and those types of things, but having a cadence, uh, working that. And I think, uh, also making sure that Anya brought it up I think it, it, it bears some, some further discussion too is when you look at the uh, the persona of your students is you know and we do a lot of this with uh, virtual advisor and this is where marketing really and admissions both need to be paying attention to their to their students. what we've noticed is we've asked, all of the students that fill out the virtual advisor forms, when are you most available? Morning, afternoon, evening. And you can sort that by campus, you can sort that by program, and you can get a better idea of when to staff as well. Uh, certainly weekends, I think, you know, as you mentioned, Greg, work, works fantastic. But you have to look at it individually and, and by campus. You have to be intelligent about how you utilize the data and craft those personas because maybe someone looking for massage may be available in the ev- you know, mornings. Someone looking at a medical assisting program at your campus may be available evenings, uh, because maybe they're, have a higher propensity to be working during the day. So,
0: so Tom, so really if it, to let me, down, let me interrupt you. So that, that seems crazy. So what you're saying is by doing some simple, uh, connection, um, uh, analysis, you can break out that the, um, the people seeking massage uh, education are, tend to cluster and be available at certain times, whereas people who are seeking an allied health kind of a career, they might be clustering at another time. And so you can take your admissions reps uh, who are really strong in the allied health side, maybe it's a grad from the school, a phlebotomy grad become a rep or whatever and you can cluster you can cluster the the admissions reps time or military people meant maybe are available at certain times so you can actually fit reps who have strengths in those areas who can be more useful to the explorers is that what you're saying
3: a, l- a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm not one for having certain reps work only certain types of leads. I feel they should be able to work all the leads. But yeah, I mean, you have a propensity for someone when you do have like a nursing program or something that's significantly different than a medical assisting program and it requires a lot more paperwork and knowledge or, you know, of, of uh, what they're doing now. Then yeah, I totally agree uh, with that. But yeah, you, I think you really need to understand your prospect. Uh, from the marketing side, and understand when to when to market and how to market to them. But on the admissions side, when are they most available? What's the sequence? Uh, I think uh, one of the things that maybe we'll touch base on later, if we have time, is segmenting lists. So when you have a list of, you know, uh, medical assisting versus cosmetology versus massage or other type, or automotive or other programs. The way you market to do those requires different messaging, requires potentially different admissions tactics, uh, and also understanding the age demographic that you're working with, because maybe Facebook at messaging might work better with some of your medical assisting students or older students, uh, whereas oh. the high school students using some another method. So lots of different things I think to take into account and be a lot more scientific on it.
0: So Anya, yeah, I think. Um you know, in addition to the, what I call the buckets, right, which everybody talks about, oh, Google this, Instagram that, TikTok this, whatever. it's where these people hang out. I think what you alluded to earlier was there are, um, cosmetology students maybe have certain traits in common, uh, whereas maybe a phlebotomy prospective student might have a different kind of persona. And by grabbing uh, and understanding those personas that are, are, tend to be attached to the careers, uh, kind of truisms, if you will, um, persona building uh, in addition to the buckets where people hang out. I think what might be even more important is the, the copy, how we speak to those people. So in, in right. just babbling on to everybody generically the, the way that reps talk to people, the way that the the sales letters go out. Care to expand?
1: Sure. So what I've seen in in many different environments is that you'll have marketing create their build their personas for exactly what you described the um, medical assisting um, student persona that you know Jane. Let's say they call her Jane, um, and then they build uh, another persona. Yet they for another program, yet they fail often to communicate those personas to the admissions reps. So while the admissions reps are taking the intake from these successful campaigns, um, the admissions reps aren't changing much of their conversation to um, engage with those different segments and buckets that have come in, which um, is a missed opportunity if you're not doing so.
0: Right. And so like you, you start uh, admissions, people can start thinking of themselves as direct response marketers. And in doing so, they can split test. The split testing is the, the core to effective uh, uh, copy on websites and landing pages. So an example might be uh, an admissions rep is le- leaving a phone message and they're just thinking, oh, and they're mindlessly leaving their messages. But if they think about that phone message as a radio ad with an audience of one person instead of 10,000 people, mm-hmm. then they can start to split test how they leave their voice messages. So they know they have a f- the best practices. Okay, I'm talking to somebody who's intrigued about phlebotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that as a persona, they tend to be analytical. they bit introverted this, 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 this. And then I'm going to start to split test through trial and error how I leave messages for people. Now, in that regard, if people follow that best practice after about a half a dozen split tests, uh, they can get a range of 5 to 10% more people returning phone calls that otherwise would not. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if somebody's leaving conservatively 20 phone messages a day, that's 440 uh, a month. That's an extra, I'm going to call it 30, meaningful conversations. Uh, and I'm going to say instead of 15% conversion rate from phone call to start, I'm going to say it's 10%. So that's three additional students a month per rep by merely split testing the phone message aspect. Uh, and then to Tom's point, you know, there's other buckets where we can split test as well. There's uh, email. There's text message. There's old-fashioned letters from the president of the school or the dean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so these buckets are all fine. Um, but it's what's said, how it's said, and that can be achieved through trial and error, split testing. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I'm going to move on now. Uh, first in best dressed, right? Um, this study still, I shake my head, but in digital marketing, if somebody's not responded to uh, a digital inquiry within a minute, it becomes a, a sales list kind of marketing activity with a much lower conversion rate. I think it's a for, uh, like a, an 80% reduction in conversion rate if somebody is not responded to within a minute. So the schools that are running best practice treat digital inquiries as if they're a phone call that's on hold with that kind of urgency. Um, I don't understand, Tom, why more schools don't do this. Don't treat digital inquiries as if it's a phone call on hold because... The connection to creating in, in, increased enrollment is tremendous.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, everything everything should be an urgent you know, an urgent phone call on hold. Um, I mean, every every, every lead should be treated with that that same level of urgency um, and and attacked just the same way um, as if again someone had walked in your. facility facility mm-hmm. or someone had phone, you know, calls into your facility, you know, be ready to, you know, speed the lead and treating people as if, you know, they were on hold with the same enthusiasm level as walking in, um, is, is really critical.
0: And yeah, I heard one jaded, uh, marketing pro say that digital leads have the life expectancy of a fruit fly. And, um, but I, I guess really um, where the, the research sits is that 64% um, of respondents in, in surveys of, of students felt that the first school that reached out to them had a distinct advantage. It's almost like a positioning process, but in microcosmic terms. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but like first person, even if this, second, third, fourth, people who contact uh, were superior, that first person has an advantage. It's interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you think that, you know, our role as marketers, our primary purpose is to deliver the right message, the right time, um, at the right time, to the right customers. If you're doing your job as marketing, then, which is, Delivering the right content at the right time to the right customers. Why wouldn't you call them right away?
0: Well, exactly, because you're there to help them, and you're there to help them in their journey. Now, where the disconnect sits, though, is there's there's a term called the awareness journey, Um, and that's basically where you just have an inkling of an idea about going back to school to um, uh, to oh, more interested. Oh, I'm researching. I, maybe there's a false start on going back to school. And then at a year, year and a half out of this journey, uh, there's a, okay, I'm ready to go to school. And um, the schools think that if they get a 100, quote unquote, leads, oh, they're all ready to go. No, 10 of them are ready to go to school. And 20 of the, of the 100 right. uh, are close, but require some good, high quality counseling from the admissions people and 70 are just they're like the green, green cherries on the cherry tree, right? I've used that analogy a lot and you don't pick green cherries off the cherry tree and then yell at them to, to go and make them become red or you don't pick carrots out of the garden early to see how they're growing. You just don't do that. And so there is a total tone deaf situation with a lot of marketers who just are not dialed into the awareness journey um, of where these explorers are. And I guess to the, in the absence of marketers doing a proper job, um, there is, uh, it's the job of the admissions people to qualify um, prospective students, explorers. Um, One, do they want to go back to school? But two, where are they in the awareness journey and how can we, as a school, provide you supports while you're trying to figure out daycare or you're trying to figure out finances or you're trying to figure out, is this the right career for me? Does this bring me joy? Or the awareness journey is or is a continuum over, I'll call it a year. And so often, I guess, marketing people and admissions people, many of them are just Flippin' t- tone deaf, man, and it just drives me crazy. Um, anyone wanna weigh in on that opinion before we move on? No?
3: I think you covered um, it.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, Anya?
1: Um, no, I'll just also, excuse me, add that, um, you know, the sort of omni- omni-channel approach to that outreach from admissions is also important. So equally as you would in marketing, Um, that that consistent messaging needs should continue throughout the engagement awareness and um, conversion stage of that candidate. So contact them by email, text, voicemail, um, sales letters, whatever, whatever it takes to get them as familiar with your brand as 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 much as possible so that you are you continue to develop trust with that yes. prospective candidate.
0: So here's a, here's a tip. When the admissions people reach out and they say, hi, there's this thing called um, the awareness journey and I want to support you, but are you ready to go to school now? Or are you just thinking about it? I can help you in different ways depending on where you are. Can we have a phone call and I can help determine where you are and then give you resources and supports that might help you gain clarity. Now that's I just invented that, but um if that would be something worth testing, that as a a little email, a text message, phone message to see how many people would respond. I would bet a case of beer that uh there would be a lot of people responding to that kind of a reach out cuz it's respectful and it's other conscious. So Now we're going to move to a different part of our talk. What we've done uh, now is for those of you that have uh, signed up, we've invited you to uh, bring to bear specific things that are bugging you, questions. And so we're going to now make this your talk. And I've got some that are written down. And then we might have a couple. That people just want to, you might want to type into the chat box if you want clarifying questions. You've got um, four smart people here. Tammy's going to dive in here soon and uh, lots of experience. So you might as well take advantage of it if you want. Okay, so this is from Cindy Lin at Quantum Academy. Cindy, thank you for this. Um, Her question How do you identify, target, and narrow down customer segments? Um, and how do you distinguish the best way to approach each, seg- each segment? So um, Tammy, are you there on the, on the
2: line? Yep, I'm here.
0: Cool. Now, your expertise, you have deep expertise in paid search. Um, why don't you speak to this from, through the lens of having to work with Google? Um, fire away. Give us a couple of, of um, little thought starters.
2: Sure, um, I think when it comes to segments, it, it kind of goes back to what Anya was saying about your persona. I mean, that's, that's really the best place to start. So as an example, you know, we keep going back to medical assisting, but it's a good example. We know that high, per, high percentage of those people are female. Um, quite a number of them are, you know, have another job. So, you know, they're juggling a lot of different things and they might have children. Um, You really kind of start with your copy, you know, really addressing the pain points of who's who's the main person that you're speaking to. And I think in doing that, you're not really excluding anybody else who who may not be in that bucket. But it just it just gives you a better chance of, you know, really connecting with that higher percentage of your, your student body. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're, when you're developing your campaigns, it's obviously you're matching that message as well. You know, if you're, right. if you're trying to explore, you know, maybe getting more male students, you know, for medical assisting, then, you know, there's, there's ways to sort of segment by gender in the ad account. And then you would, you would change up, you know, probably more your hero images and things like that. But really, you know, it comes down to you can really segment. A lot but then that becomes a burden sometimes in sort of managing all the different segments so if it's at least starting from that point of you know you're targeting a particular program you really have a strong understanding of who that that best student is and you really shape your marketing around that and your admissions as well.
0: Got it so it's personas first uh, then it's um uh, the, the nature of the, the connection by way of the, the copy second and then it's the delivery system is either by written word or little videos or what have you, those are buckets or delivery systems to go into the buckets. And Google, we, we don't want to get into it now really because it, it'll get pretty dry for people, but there's many systems inside the Google AdWords system where you can tighten and target people oh um, just uh, share a couple of obscure ones Tammy that most people may not know about
2: sure like let's see you could you you could target people who are kind of in a career exploration phase by various audiences that Google has predefined you could target people who are literally in market for post-secondary education so they know by their signals that they're They're looking to go back to school. Um, You know, you can do a lot of this ad creative where you're like, okay, I want my particular audience is um, like in that sort of financial student scholarship bursary exploration phase. And you could target a particular ad with an if statement that's called. So you're like only showing that ad to that particular audience within your sort of, you know, whether it's a search marketing or a display campaign. So that you're really speaking directly to that person at that stage that they're in. So there's a lot of different layers you can try within the ad creative side. Yeah.
0: So Google can now, um, Cindy, uh, tap into the awareness journey. Um, So the one that, that Tammy shared with me that blew my mind that really explained it well is uh, Google knows that if you're in your fifties and that you have this type of job primarily blue collar uh, uh you will the odds of you renting an rv are x percent and then they based on the, the, where this person boots around on the internet you can create a, ads for at the early stages of the awareness journey the middle and at the end right tammy the, the different messaging through the the process yeah
2: yeah i mean th- you know that particular piece would be probably more towards the end. I mean, if you're looking at your target audience is 50 and they're interested in vacation rentals, that might be the top end of the awareness, and then you refine it as you go through the funnel, for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, of course, then um, Cindy, there's there's geo-targeting tricks that not a lot of schools will do, but uh, they're they're certainly worth testing. And the geo-targeting, for instance. Um, we have some clients that are on train lines or on express bus loops. And so it, it would make sense to geo target, maybe a couple of miles around a given bus stop or a train station to grab um, uh, interested people that would not necessarily get cab. Just took a um, made a circle around a school and a third of the circle is a uh, a, a body of water you know so so geotargeting is basically you can create a map around population densities where the ads will drop there but won't drop outside of the geo target you can geotarget competitors um, if you have a small smaller career school and you're close to a huge not-for-profit school you can um, drop, um, ads in amongst these huge lecture halls, you can go, if you're at a small allied health school, you can find out where the um, the big allied health lecture halls are, the nursing, the medical halls, and you can create a geotarget. And in that ad, you could say something like, are you sick of these huge lectures, time for hands-on learning, click here, as an example, uh, and just get super precise in connecting precise niche and market tightly. And Tammy, I guess the last thing is um, people talk about keywords, um, maybe a key phrase, but your experience has been long descriptive sentences have potential to really better qualify prospective people who are searching on, on Google. You wanna expand?
2: Are you meaning like what people are searching for in terms of long long tail keywords?
0: Yeah. yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, um, you know it's interesting. The last few years, there's been a lot of evolution in Google's um, sort of you I don't know to call it, framework architecture around keywords, and I mean that's always ongoing with Google, but yeah, I mean you've got what we find is most often is when it's programmatic keywords, you know, layering and geography. Um, is really an important factor, because sometimes if you're not layering in your geography and your keyword mix, you might not always show, so you're losing some impression share there. Um,
0: okay.
2: Yeah, I, but they are. So
0: you can make long sentences using various filters, and it, it's worth testing, for sure, to get a better yes. connection. Okay, I'm going to move on, though, so uh, I just noticed the time, guys. Um, so, Kenneth Fier from Bethany Global University Question: What are the top five practices for lead to start apps? Lead to, so the broad buckets would be CRM, conversion rate optimization, harvesting, um, my page on Google. Tom, why don't you take a crack at this one? Um, there's It's an interesting question.
3: It uh, is. <laughs> uh, so. I mean, there's, there's so many things. This is a really wide-ranging question. So, uh, practices from lead to app or lead to start. I mean, there's so many things that, um, that get involved. Uh, if I start from the beginning and I'm just going to talk about, um, uh, some of the, some of the things that you, you can be doing. Number one at the front of the funnel, and I'm not, I'm just going to talk to the admissions side is make sure that you have a, some sort of speed to lead. Uh, type of system set up uh, with your CRM so that when a lead hits, you're able to respond immediately within 60 seconds. Uh, So I think that's I think that's a key at the front of the funnel. Uh, I think also at the front of the funnel, in, in my opinion, appointment setting and appointment shows is the number one piece of admissions. Uh, I think if you don't have a pipeline and you don't have enough people showing up, it doesn't really matter how well your school looks or how well you close or any of those things if you don't have enough apps. And this is where most schools struggle. So I think having a good process and script uh, for not only your contact strategy, what is that that we talked about earlier? When do you call? When do you text? When do you email? When do you leave a voicemail? And what are this? What are the scripts that you use in each of those processes? You don't leave it up to your refs and you don't let them wing it. Uh, everything is scripted. They're practiced so they sound fluent and engaging, but we give them the, the, the word optimizations to be fantastic at what they do and really make that connection. Uh, so That's I think similar to our, those two practices are, are, are great. Uh, and then making sure that uh, you have an outstanding presentation. Uh, virtually, I think right now virtual is the the absolute way to go. Uh, virtually present your school, virtual tour, virtual interviews uh, to, to get people moving. And then lastly, uh, I think uh, having a fantastic follow-up plan and follow-up is, is the key to success there and having a, a scripted, outline of what happens if they don't show, what happens if they do show, what happens if they do show but don't enroll, what do we do next step-by-step?
0: So Kenneth, that was a pretty high level response. Um, If you want some specific nuggets, just get on with us and we'll share you a few Mm -hmm. specifics. Um, That question. Yeah, Uh, Lisa Kenyon from Aveda Institute. Uh, How to to decrease no-shows, how to improve the show rate, uh, we have our, our remote admissions pathway, which improves show rate. I think it's around 30, 35% over b- previous best practice. That's a, a big, a big thing to do. A small thing to do is, uh, two hours prior to the appointment, send a text message. And it could be something like, Hey, we got hot cookies and coffee for you. I look forward to seeing you. And if they're Planning to bail on you, or they were just, they'll, they'll get back to you and they'll go, Oh my God, I can't make it. Um, can we rebook? And so it's a great default for those, those no shows to actually step up and be accountable. And most of those people will rebook with you. So that's a little tactic you can use immediately. Again, text somebody two hours prior to the meeting. Hey, look forward to seeing you. And then you'll have some people who will bail on you, uh, but they'll do it because they've been busted. And, um, and then most of those will set up another appointment, which will really improve the, that, uh, um, that metric really quickly. Okay. Um, Crystal Morgan, um, Bryant and Stratton College, uh, in the Northeast there. How will colleges connect? with high school juniors and seniors in the virtual environment. Okay, I'm going to um, speak to this. We have a, 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 a thing called our high school pathway, which is like a way to connect with prospective students really well. Um, I would use Zoom meeting in conjunction with that tool. But let's talk about Zoom meeting, your bucket has historically been the high school and you convince the guidance counselor to let you in and meet the students face-to-face and can be really effective. And then then educating the high school counselors on your school, uh, that's broadly the typical process. But of course now, with many being virtual, you can try Zoom meeting, but a lot of um, these guidance counselors might just rebuff you. So your third option is to do an end around. And so what I would recommend, um, is a TikTok campaign. You can do this at the state level. You can, you can geotarget to the state level and, um, which is not a home run, but it's still pretty good. So it, you go where the high school people hang out. So I'm using TikTok as an example. And, um, you invite people to a Zoom meeting, a virtual information session. And I would say that's your quick fix. You could do that really quickly, easy, easy. Um, OK, so this one's for Anya. Rob, Roberto Garcia, University of Denver, which I used to play against in rugby years ago. Um, if we start pinging inquiries in August, one email per week, how many weeks out should we stop messaging inquiries and let go? Anya, what do you think?
1: Um, This is my point of view, until they tell you to stop.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So I think that um, in addition to... Remember, the the nurturing aspect is key to um, building familiarity with your brand and to build trust over time. So if this particular candidate is or candidates are um, in the beginning of their research phase, it may take them 12 months to make a decision. So you certainly want to continue to keep them engaged um, to have them become your ambassador because they're so familiar with your brand. And until they tell you to um, cool it, I don't think there's a need to stop. Um, another thing that you might want to look at is that when there is the option to unsubscribe, that you um, give them the option to uh, dictate the cadence in which they want to um, perhaps receive your messaging. So you're also providing to them um the opportunity to determine how often they want to hear from you and that may not be a week every week you know on a weekly basis it may be on a monthly basis now or in in six months revisit
0: yeah and roberto what i would recommend is you start in june uh if you're talking about a september intake everybody all your competitors are all starting in august and uh and what i would do as a tactic to Something to test is cluster. So email, email, and then I'd go three emails a day apart, building like a mini course. Um, and that can work really, really well as far as creating enough critical mass to, uh, to go and, and engage them on a, on a point of view. Often one reading, you know, the open rate might be 30%. Uh, so if you have a mini course, uh, with backlinks if they've missed the first two and they're on the third one, uh, to talk about one aspect of career planning uh, and the U of D as an example, consider that as well. And then to Anya's point, um, go until they, they stop. Can span laws are excellent. I would make the unsubscribe button prominent, just as an ethical consideration. Uh, and then with that bargain, of having a prominent unsubscribe button, you can um, continue to educate. Now, to Anya's point, repeti- you might wanna write this down. Repetition creates familiarity and then familiarity cr- creates one of two things, contempt or trust. In other words, if the, the copy is garbage, um, then uh, you will just create contempt. You're being spammed, hassled, it's mindless, It's not connecting to your needs. But if through repetition you create familiarity and the content is relevant, um, then it creates trust. Would you not say, Anya? I agree. Yeah. Now we have four more uh, questions, possibly one or two more uh, that Christy has. But so let's go with some crisp answers here. Um, Colleen are from IAHA, what is the best way to communicate with Google AdWords leads? So the scenario is um, they've gone and through a landing page, they filled out a form. Um, I think Tom, we've kind of spoke about this is we wanna connect quickly. Uh, we also have our virtual advisor, which allows, it's like two hours worth of Intel where a person completes information you want to quickly just take 30 seconds and expand upon that?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think there's not a huge differentiation between communicating with your, your Google ad leads or your website leads. Uh, just communicating in, in general is speed the lead. Get get on it quickly. Get on it with a, a defined cadence. Uh, and, you know, make sure that you do understand that persona of, of that person and, what what does it take? Uh so if it, it make sure that you've got a defined plan. But I wouldn't change my my approach necessarily for Google ad leads versus website generated leads. Uh the the approach is the same. Uh it's get on it you know within sixty seconds, thirty minutes later, two hours later, the next day, skip a day, day after whatever it might be for you. Uh using a a defined plan, and and work through those leads. Uh, And if you've got a tool like Virtual Advisor that gives you a little bit more insight, then you can uh, craft those personas a little bit more and have some additional methodology uh, to get there. I'm going to do a real quick, too, on the lead nurture piece. Send them something of value, too. Don't just send them an email saying, hey, we have a class starting in two weeks. Uh, That's the easiest way to get someone to unsubscribe. Send them a video, an article, or something of value every single time. Same thing here with these Google Ad Leads. Give them something of value constantly, and uh, they'll be much more willing to move forward with you.
0: The nice thing about Google Ad uh, Leads is like this rifle shot. You have a, um, you should, you'll have a really clear idea of the type of person based on the keywords um, admissions should be receiving in their CRM the the keywords or at least the, la- the type of landing page so that they can get very focused. Again, repetition creates familiarity, which treats trust or contempt. If you're just talking blah, 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 contempt. If you're just sending them whatever, contempt. But if you're really dialed into their persona, then um, that's trust. If you send them stuff that's useful, as Tom says, trust, 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 by being relevant. Because we're all getting a little bit of uh, fatigue around getting information and offers and Zoom meetings. and la, la, la. OK, so we have Andres Bolina from uh, Florida Technical College, i.e. the Dave School, award-winning Dave School. Um, what is the cleanest way to measure the performance of the relationship between marketing and admissions? So is there a way to um, measure whether the silos are, are communicating some clean, easy metric? Um, anybody have something for that? Uh, Anya, Tom? No, that's a tough one.
3: Yeah. My, my quickest thing here is using, you have six metrics, contact rate, uh, appointment set rate, appointment show rate, uh, you know, yeah. closing rate or application rate, packaging rate, and then start rate. And you need to track those by lead source. And uh, to me, that's yeah. the easiest way about- to track your performance is you use those six metrics by lead source and you get a good sense of which leads convert best uh, so that you can uh, continually uh, improve your marketing mix.
0: But then, yeah, I think what uh, Andres is, is asking about is, is there a way, a clean metric, uh, to see if marketing, the lead flow from marketing to admissions, I guess it really is the contact rate. If the contact rate plummets, then there's a chism. Um, so, you know what, Andreas, you're, you're a good client of ours. I think this is worth a separate, uh, there's no clean answer. I think contract rate is a is a good thing to look at. If the contact rate off digital leads is 10 or 15, 20%, then you've got a problem in terms of how the admissions rep are dancing with the the leads. I think we'll call you later. Uh, this is this needs. The cost Some, per start uh, is another good one. Yeah, there you go. Cost per start. Um, okay, so two more. Uh, we're just at noon right now. we just a little bit over time, you guys. Uh, Caitlin Sugg, New School of Architecture and Design. What is your advice for a very small marketing team struggling to prioritize lead gen versus lead nurturing? So, what i might suggest to you is um, a time saver is you can create um, persona based what are called auto responders and they they run in a sequence that you can dictate and that can be all organized if you have a good C, crm like uh verity comes to mind uh and and so what happens is you write it once and it automatically pushes out and it's personalized. So that can be a way to save a lot of time on your lead nurturing. Uh, and then inside you can have automatic offerings, like shake, shaking the cherry tree for the red cherries. Um, so that's a way to save a bunch of time on the lead nurturing part. The lead gen side uh, is really, uh, to Tom's earlier point, you need to have a volume of interest, I'll call it, um, from explorers. And then your job in terms of direct response marketing and admissions is to determine as quickly as possible where the explorers sit in their awareness journey and then not piss them off by sending them things that are not appropriate. If somebody, like I'm looking at Teslas, and if somebody got a hold of that information and just started, hammering me about buying Teslas, Um, my odds are 1 in 100. I'll buy one, but the odds are 99 out of 100 that I will not go near a Tesla dealership for the life of me. So I would say be smart with your lead flow and prioritize them where they are in the admissions, in the awareness journey, and then deal with them appropriately. Admissions people will deal with people in this part of the journey uh, your auto responders can deal with people in that part of the journey. So qualify and organize yeah. them. Uh, uh, Any final add, Greg, uh, yeah, 30 uh, seconds. To add, yeah, to
1: um, I think that um, you really just want to automate as many low-value tasks as possible so that your admissions reps are having, um, their time is really just spent on having engaging conversations with prospective students.
0: Yeah, that's... That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) I helped you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, final question. Uh, Crystal Stevens from the University of Antelope Valley. Love that name. What specific data is shared between marketing and admissions and how often? I would say, Crystal, it's very, typically in EDU, it's very uh, silo-oriented, particularly in the not-for-profit side. Um, they don't dance that well together, and therein is the whole purpose of this webinar and sharing some thought starters. It's a perfect segue. They don't. They, they, everyone's in silos. They don't dance together very well. The ones that do are incredibly well, and I think what should happen is really be like a hockey trade. Marketing should share the, their, their data with the admissions recruiting team, Admissions, recruiting need to share back and because the marketing people have to know where things are failing. And so we've laid a half a dozen ideas um, with you today. Well, more than that, but uh, we're happy to go and, and dig into that with some detail if you want to reach out. Christy, um, anybody, uh, anything to add before we jump off?
2: Um, We had a few other questions, but I think that these questions would be happily answered more on a one-on-one as well. And uh, the only thing I have to add is that that was great and very informative.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for organizing all the details of this. And uh, Tammy and Anya and Tom, uh, thanks for chiming in with lots of good thought starters, precise information. Folks on the call, I'm hoping that you could take away three, four, five thought starters that you can initiate on. If you want a little more support and idea, feel free to reach out to us, and we're happy to spend a bit of time with you on the phone. Um, thanks again, everybody, and uh, have yourselves a productive day. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Don't let anybody sneeze on you, whatever you do. So take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks Thank a you. Lot. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management.
1: Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.